Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 13, Life Support, teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Reza Badi. This episode aired on January 31st, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, after a serious accident, Bashir struggles to save the life of Vedic Baral, while Kai Wynn conducts a peace treaty with Cardassia. Jake and Nog reluctantly explore the differences between Federation and Ferengi cultures. Well, Elise, we'll, we'll start this episode as we start mostly every episode of Pod Race. Did you remember this episode? I was very ready to tell you that I was ready to take over the world. And you asked me the wrong question. Um, oh, being in the brain. Got it. Sorry, I'm slow this morning. It's okay. I also think I said the word ready way too many times. Um, so I remembered, that I knew that Beryl died. I just didn't remember the circumstances. And I still think he's about as interesting as an unjammed piece of toast. <laughs> But what I didn't remember was that we got more Jackie Taylor, Kelly Taylor's mom, nurse, whose name I look up every time and I forgot and I didn't look it up this time. And it's just Bajoran Jackie Taylor. (laughs) Bajoran Jackie Taylor. And we got canon now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was honestly like this episode was on during 90210. So it all makes sense. (laughs) The other excitement in my life Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Besides you massacring... No, I'm just kidding. I mean, that's that's fair. We have a Lisa Turtle alert. Those of you may know Lisa Turtle as a character in... Saved by the Bell, played by Lark Voorhees. Well, Lark Voorhees is in this episode and is looking adorable, and I was very excited about it. I like her dress she wears on that date. The date from hell. <laughs> it was cute and red and a little poofy. Never see you looking so lovely as you did tonight. I'm swaying. Lisa Turtle in red. Um... Yeah, sorry. Let's we're chaotic. It's been a minute since Lisa and I recorded together. I just need um, to, I need a I need to visualize everyone to visualize what I was doing while you were singing that. I was swaying and I lit lit my vape pen on in like instead of a lighter. So oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. There you, go. <clears throat> there you go. So this episode came from an original story idea submitted by Christian Ford and Roger Sofer. And you'll notice that they get a story by credit on this episode. So Ron Moore did the teleplay based on this original story idea by Ford and Sofer. And the original pitch was a Bashir episode, a Bashir-based episode, focused episode, that was based on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. This was altered because the ambassador character they created for the episode, who would have been an analog to the creature in Frankenstein, was new to the viewer, and the idea of bringing someone back to life, them losing their humanity, and then ultimately Bashir having to kill them again in the end, um, wouldn't have had, or the writer's room wouldn't 
didn't feel as if it would have had the the big enough impact that they wanted because this character would have been a one a one-off character just created for this episode um ron moore was quoted in the deep space nine companion talking about this we are trying to make it a bashir show but in reality everything focused on the ambassador and nobody cared about him end quote the solution that they came up with for this perceived audience apathy was to change the ambassador character to someone else first they considered o'brien because it was rumored at the time that colmini wanted to leave the show to focus on you know movies and film and things like that and get out of doing a regular television gig but colm assured the writing staff that he had no one no intentions of leaving and then that's when yeah, right and then that's when the producers decided to shift the story to be about Vedic Baral, partially because they weren't happy with how the Kira Baral relationship was going and they weren't sure where Baral was headed as a character I do want to call back to a discussion that we had earlier on the podcast where they were doing all that the producers were doing all this groundwork and had the plan to set up Baral as winning the election and being the next Kai and then at the last minute, they're like, well, we're dumb. What are we doing? We need to switch this to win because that was, I think, the right choice for creating more future drama in the show and having win as an antagonist. But it definitely seems once they smartly made that pivot, they didn't know what to do with, <laughs> at least, what did you call him? An, an unjammed piece of toast? Yes. Um. So yeah, they like essentially killed him off after frankensteining him for a little bit over the course of this episode (laughs) i was not upset um i literally the second time i watched the episode this morning i was like i didn't really like that um (laughs) like it's fine but i just didn't care about any of it so i think they made a good choice to kill him off because i don't need to see him anymore (laughs) if they had asked me i would have agreed before we get into talking about the the starting with the B plot more of the episode, it really struck me when I was rewatching this episode for the podcast, having just um, having just watched Past Tense Parts One and Two for our previous episode where Karen filled in for for you, Elise, that we got a Kira haircut change. Um, and we commented on Jedzia's two episode hairstyle change and went back. So I'd like to propose to you that we now have a podcast within a podcast that we'll do occasionally called the Kira's haircut check-in. Viewers will remember that we discussed Kira's hair earlier in season one because she had that long hair in the pilot and the Nav visitor felt that that didn't suit Kira. So that's where we got the kind of, you know, short kind of, I don't know, what would you call it? It's not really a mohawk, but kind of shorter, updo, lesbian haircut. I mean, <laughs> what am I kidding? All of Kira's haircuts are lesbian haircuts. They really wanted us to I will say that straight. the haircut that she has right now in this episode is the haircut I had my first year of college. Um, and I think that that is very important because I thought I was a straight person. <laughs> and I am not. <laughs> Fair enough. But like what I wanted to like kind of talk about in this like podcast, one of the podcast Kira haircut check-in, we'll come up with a better name for it, folks. If you have any ideas, yeah. please tweet at us or email us at podrace at gmail.com. But Kira's wanting it shorter because Kira wanting it shorter. Nana wanting it shorter because she thought it fit who Kira was better than the longer hair. 
And now it seems that they're having Kira grow out her hair a little bit to be able to do that kind of, instead of that more updo, it's more of like a, not a comb over, but it like has less volume, but is longer and kind of parted to the side. So I wanted to bring this up, and it's something I'm going to kind of look for going forward, at least until we get the next Kira Nari's haircut change. Um, if this is an indicative sign of like the change we've seen in Kira and how she's feeling a little bit more settled in her life on, on Deep Space Nine and getting further from her resistance days and, and things like that. So I could be reading a lot into a haircut, probably am, but it's something that definitely like stood out to me and we'll, we'll see how long this one lasts. I mean, I don't know that you're reading into it too much because my hair is always related to how I'm feeling and what I'm doing and what energy I have. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to think of it that way. So, cause like, I think that's a normal way that people treat their hair. So I support you on this journey is what I'm trying to say. The B plot, Jake and Nog go on a double blind date. Well, blind date for Nog and um, Lisa Turtle's friend. Yeah. Um, but you know, it is what it is. We get an insight into the differences <laughs> in how humans in the 24th century go on dates and some, what I would call pretty regressive, um, Frankie tendencies with women. How did this B plot work for you, Elise? Can I be a little racist here? Okay. I was really excited. I mean, the Ferengi aren't real, so I mean... I'm just being space racist against the Ferengi. Um, I was really... Just no slurs, please. Oh, no. I have no slurs to say. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't even know what a slur against a Ferengi person would be. And I'm not going to think about it. (laughs) Beetle beetle snuffer? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Lobe toucher. Um... I was really glad at first when Nog was excited for Jake's date, but then he just invited himself because he was like, I mean, it's better than hanging out with the two of us, like implying that he would go as like a third wheel on the date. But here's where the racism comes in. I'm sorry. Sorry to quirk. Ferengi should not be set up on blind dates on people with people who are not prepared. Like that poor girl. <laughs> yeah. If she was like... I love Frangies. Yes. Put them on, put them on a blind date. But that she was just so unsuspecting and she just like imagine you're on a date with someone and someone laughs and it says, "Ha ha ha, she's so dumb." Like in the middle of it. So you're their friend not even to you. Like right in front of you. That's poor girl. I'm hysterical right now. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just can't stop laughing at how ridiculous it was. And I don't mean like laughing like with it like laughing at it i recognize that the intent of putting this b plot in this episode is is to try and provide some some levity to the seriousness or perceived seriousness of the, the a toast plot, right yeah. with the the burial storyline um i don't know if it totally like worked for me it like on one level I don't think the episode overall is as effective as they hoped it would be, partially because I think it <laughs> hangs on Burial, who like is a very um, flat performance right. throughout his tenure on the show. 
and for obvious plot and story reasons it's an even flatter performance in in this final episode before he dies um and i know the the ferengi are problematic in half a dozen ways at least and we've talked before about how they work best for us as a satire of 20th century humans and i again this is supposed to be the the comedy levity and it's like oh jake and nog are such a mismatched couple oh jake's horrified because nog's being incredibly sexist and demeaning but i didn't find it that funny i just found it like very awkward and felt terrible for the women that the boys were on the date with because like i get that nog kind of coerce jake or or whatever into like it being a double date and that whole like assumption stuff there Mm -hmm. but like how ignorant is jake actually of like nog's view and like how did jake think this date would go better like i don't know it just doesn't like track to me because like it doesn't track to me on either side they're friends and they'll talk about women and you know yeah no they'll talk about everything like it just I don't know. I don't, it didn't, it didn't work for me. And it just like, and the way that like, and this is something that, um, friend of the pod Reg has emailed us about before, but the way that like Ferengis use the term females, again, it's supposed to like, it's with such disdain and I think it's played for comedy, but it really, it really doesn't work. And like, I think it's the more I think about it, the more it doesn't hold up because again you're you're limiting it just to like a biological factor and like those are like it could be a gender critical or like a turf talking point like you know which again isn't the episode's fault because they're not purposely trying to do that but it's like i can't i don't know i just thought it was bad yeah um at both this... in universe and right. then through like our 2022 like lens right i wonder I'm not going to sit here and decide like which species would be turfy or not um but like I almost, because I, I looked at it a little bit through that lens also, and it almost felt, like, even more right to me because of how the Ferengi are. But, like, I know that that was not the subtext of what was happening. Um, I really didn't like it being played that way either. Um, although I did feel, like, the subtext kind of made it more for me rather than less. Um, the only part of this plot that I enjoyed is that we got some really good parenting from Cisco about um him kind of reminding Jake like you knew who your friend was <laughs> like and you got I was wrong when I previously said that you shouldn't be friends because your our species are too different and then I enjoyed the like forced proximity makeup like the trope being used so they can make up like that really worked for me um yeah mostly the fact that odo went along with it is very funny to me like that he was like not busy in his day that he had time to like throw these two jokers in the prison like for an hour or so um so that aspect worked and i also enjoyed nog like figuring out that that jake set up the whole like jail thing because he just was like we didn't do anything and odo wouldn't have wasted his time arresting us if he didn't have evidence I basically decided that 10 out of 10, I would watch a mystery type, like, Murder, She Wrote show with Jake and Nog at the helm. I, I 
I want to watch them like do murder mysteries. <laughs> Not do the murder. Unsolve the mystery. <laughs> do like the Jessica Fletcher thing and do the murder and then solve it. <laughs> yes. No, that, that's a funny fan theory about murder she wrote. Oh, yeah. I have a shirt Jessica that actually, actually did. Yeah. The, like, I mean, murders. they always happen If you haven't her. watched Murder, She Wrote. Yes. <laughs> Jessica is not the actual murderer, but it would be funny if she was. Um, one more thing about that, that plot. When they were having their discussion about um, and Jake is telling Nog all the things that gross him out, kind of about Ferengi culture. I really, really would have enjoyed more if Nog had given Jake a list of things that gross him out about humans. Even it would have been even funnier if they were like clean things or things that are not gro- like not gross because humans do a lot of gross things. Don't get me wrong, but it'd be really funny if he was like, "I can't believe you guys brush your teeth" or like something like that. It would have amused me a lot. I want to know what Jake and Nog did, if anything, to try and, like, make amends for, you know, that whole experience. And, like, the fact that, like, Jake's like, well, what did I do? Yeah, like, you... It's just like, come on, buddy. Like, dude. You just watched it happen. Like, dude. Come on. Dude, were you not at the same date that I just watched? I'm not saying that Jake should have apologized on Nog's behalf or anything, but, like, he could have at least called Nog out a little bit more in front of them. Yeah. Rather than wait till it was gone. Or he could have left with them to make sure that that girl was okay. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to to touch on in the B-plot? Um, no. I just think Nog and Jake are cute as friends. It's, It's really interesting being what are we 13 episodes now into season three we're like more or less halfway through season three and like looking back and seeing like the way that the jake and nog's relationship continues to develop the way jake continues to develop the way nog continues to well i don't think he's done much growth yet in this episode but like knowing that again that does happen over seven seven seasons and i think another character that I've really started to to recognize more or less finally um, over the course of this season specifically is Julian. I think we've seen that he's had some, some seasoning. They're giving him more chances to be a doctor and do like, you know, doctor things. And yeah, I'm just like not, not both liking and cringing at the same time when he's on screen. It's more just like, really like getting to like him and i think part of me would have liked to have seen like moving to the a plot now um if y'all haven't picked up what i'm doing as a transition but moving to the the a plot now like part of me would have liked to seen the original version of that draft where bashir is playing victor frankenstein like i think that would have been interesting to me and i think like as a one-off character it's still like the original pitch of Frankenstein could have been interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I like there are interesting nuggets in this A plot that I think do have some power. And I, I do want to talk about like specifically the idea of a peace treaty, but you know, the idea of, of reparations and you know, what some kind of restorative justice in a post Cardassian occupation of Bajor world looks like. I just don't know if they needed to kill Beryl in the first act 
to bring him back and then have that whole plot of like is the spark of life in his brain still there or not and then you know him playing martyr and being pushed by kaiwen to finish the treaty i don't think we needed what they thought or hoped was like the gut punch of Burrell dying and then julian bringing him back from the dead and like you do see some good julian doctoring in it it's just i don't know for an episode that started out as a bashir episode it's not so much a bashir episode and i think this is why the a plot doesn't totally work for me as it kind of it doesn't have as much focus on a perspective as i would like i just will say that i wish that it was a julian episode and that my most star trek thing of the episode is related to his growth um i just don't care about burial and at all so i i agree with you i don't think we needed that extra like oh he's dead at the beginning um mostly because he dies anyway i just yeah it just feels like a waste of time to it feels like they weakened at bernie's sim which is a thing that i am on right now because i've been joking for the last year that the queen is dead and that is actually not to date our podcast but that is something that's happened now and i just feel like they're basically just using him but he's letting them i don't know i just I didn't like any of this. Well, and I think that's one of the interesting elements of like the A plot for me is like a discussion point that the episode kind of, I think doesn't hand wave away, but I think this episode, the A plot specifically points out a lot of things, but like doesn't explore them. And specifically like the idea of what does it mean to quote, carry out the will of the prophets? Cause that's something that we hear a lot in this episode both from Burial and when as, you know, Cardinal and Space, like Space Cardinal and Space Pope, right? Well, I have questions and... about this, actually, because is the Kai, like, the king, like, the king-queen or, like, a prime minister or, like, a president that's both, that's kind of, like, head of state and head of government? Because throughout this whole episode, she's, like, constantly not interested in doing the government aspect of her, of what I presume, I presume is part of her job. So there is the assembly of ministers and we do know that they have, it's somewhat like a parliamentary system because they do have a prime minister, I think is what else, because that was um, Minister Jaro. Oh, was right, right. first minister. Yes, That's yes, what they yes. call it, not prime minister. Sorry. So that was Frank Langella at yes, the start yes, of like, yes. season two. Yes, yes, I remember two. now. I forgot um, that was what his title was. But here we have the Kai as like the spiritual leader of Bajor, like negotiating between like as the head of a sovereign, seemingly as like a head of a sovereign government um, towards like negotiating with like another one. Like shouldn't that have been more of like, you know, the elected politicians. I get that. I've never seen this like written out on paper. And so if anyone listening is an expert in Bajoran political life and spiritual life and the way they relate, um, the Pope is like the head of like Vatican city, which is its own like, nation city state within Rome. i've seen angels and demons (laughs) (laughs) fair enough actually i only say that because i rewatched it last week (laughs) um so i think there could be a little bit of that going on i also like i don't know who in the like unified government planetary government of bajor who is like the head of state kind of like again being canadian and and reaching to that so like our our head of state is the crown 
right? So, like, right now, our head of state, this is so weird to say as we do process it, but would be King Charles, right? Then we have, like, the prime minister is, like, the leader of the government, like, in parliament, but we have a role of, like, the governor general, which is the, I was going to say the queen's representative, the king's, like, the crown's representative that does all the functions that the crown would do like in the British parliament, but nobody's, it. but it's still I, technically I think I didn't, the crown. It makes sense that you would have someone in that role, but I didn't. Is it someone that they just appoint or is it? Someone yeah. In- the, like the crown appoints them based on the like prime minister's recommendation. So the prime Got minister it. picks them and I like technically the crown could go, no, I want it to be Bob. Right. But they're not going to do that because it's stupid that we still have the relationship with the British crown that we do. That's my not so humble opinion. <laughs> I was like laughing and thinking about the crown being like, no, we want Bob. And then the par- the prime minister being like, not great, Bob, or something. And I was trying to work out like, a not great Bob joke into it, but it failed. Yeah. <laughs> the, the prime minister's like, we want Doug McKenzie. And the crown's like, no, you want Bob McKenzie. Um a little SCTV joke there. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I wonder, because the Kai does, as the Space Pope, have political power as well. So I guess what I was leading up to is I wonder if the Kai is, like, they're trying to make it more as, like, she's the, like, head of state but not the head of the government. That would be, like, the House of Ministers, like, the elected government. Right. I don't know. But the Kai is also elected, so I don't know. The Kai has both political and spiritual power or it could be like a senate it could be a senate like it could be like a senate house of representatives thing too right Right. i forgot was the kai i know we've gone over this like a hundred times but is the kai voted by the people or by like the vedics i don't remember i think it's by lots of people because kira when barile's running for vedic against when when he is forced to back out in the collaborator when it's find out that oh, he right. covered things up to protect opaka's reputation doesn't kira say something about you have my vote even though that oh you're right she's you're right more, she's much more conservative than he is so yes. like i would imagine if you're a member of the like bajoran faith you get a vote theoretically i would assume not that we've mm. met any like atheist um Bajorans, but if you weren't an active member of i the feel faith, like being vote it, in the vedic elections but you could vote in the political i feel like I being an atheist in, on bejor like would be illegal or something <laughs> like yeah or like very like hush hush we don't talk about that which is like kind of how it we used to be here i feel like but now yeah. we have like more atheists speaking out about it not in like I don't mean in like a shitty Bill Maher way. I just mean like in a conversational, yeah, I don't go to church or believe in it kind of way. Well, and I, I would suspect too that like after being under occupation and like having your life dictated to you like so much and like, you know, not even just like the labor camps and all like the terrible stuff like that, um, holding on to your faith over the fifty years of ocu- of foreign occupation is part of your identity that like the, the Cardassians couldn't remove or couldn't erase right like it's an act of resistance against the occupation to like maintain your faith in like spite of that so i think post-occupation that's probably why we don't see a lot of majority atheists um i'm sure they're out there though i know you're out there somewhere sorry so back to the idea of carrying out the will of the prophets and i think that's something that like through the course of this episode 
in the A plot if it had had more focus, I think, I mean, I personally would have enjoyed because the idea of like how powerful like our minds are or our brains are and the way that like, I'm going to say humans here, but I mean like people globally and the idea of like, you know, sentient beings, but I'm just going to use humans because we know we're real and Bajorans aren't. But the way that like, and I'm sure I've talked about this before on the podcast at some point, because I don't shut up about this, but the idea of like humans being both meaning seekers and meaning creators and the ways in which we choose to do what we want, but we then find meaning in it. That's a higher significance than like what we want to do or like, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, I'm called to do this or this is the will of the prophets or like, I'm going to martyr myself because I believe in this treaty and it's important. And I'm lowering myself and devaluing my life to get this done. And it's like, okay, but no, they can save you. No one's, well, I guess Wynn's asking you to do it, but Wynn's not great. So why are we listening to her? Um, And all this whole idea, though, of like us choosing our actions based on what we feel like the divine wants us to do, which is largely our minds, a a device we use to talk ourselves into doing something. It's even more complicated in the Bajoran context, though, because we know that they're gods are real or who they view their gods are have a basis in reality in the the wormhole aliens and the prophets and they even say that they're of bajor so there is a relationship there that this faith is built up on but we're still not sure about what they want or what they do or it's like just because this historic relationship between these aliens the majorans exists it's like you don't like Beryl doesn't actually know what the wormhole aliens want him to do. The wormhole aliens, yes, they care about Bajor seemingly somehow, but like, do they care enough? Like they live outside time. So I don't think they actually care whether Beryl lives or dies. I could listen to you like discuss this topic of like the end, what we do based on what we think the divine wants us. And I get very excited for you because I know you love talking about it. But like personally for me, I just... (laughs) In, I'm interested when you're interested in it because we're friends and I like hearing what you think and feel. Yeah. But from the episode perspective, it just, like, I just, like, in the episode, I just was like, yeah, it doesn't, like, I don't, my mind doesn't work that way, so I I don't find interest in it. And it's like... Fair enough. But I, but I am so, like, I, I love listening to you, like, talk about it and it, so I'm like very interested in what you have to say but also like i don't really have much to add yeah to that well i guess i fair enough and i guess just in conclusion i'll paraphrase um a serious man the 2009 film written and directed by the coen brothers where larry gopnik the the main character in talking about god with one of the rabbis he's like well the boss isn't the boss isn't always right, but he's still the boss. I'm talking about our relationship with Hashem, so it's it's like yeah, it's it's definitely more my shit. You're you're exactly right there. <laughs> but I did appreciate um, the Hashem reference. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm talking about the movie in context. No, it's, I know, but much, I'm you know. saying us um, us Jewish people love to give God other names so that we don't say it and and stuff. I've never seen that movie, so I didn't realize. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's very much like in conversation with the book of Job. Um, what, yeah. And I think you'd like the soundtrack too. I don't know. I think it's a, it's, it's a good movie. I like it. Um, might rewatch it after we're done. (laughs) 
that's usually the natural progression of these conversations. Yeah. Um, just to pivot a little bit to the treaties, at, the treaty at large. Um, so Kaiwin has been with help from Burial trying to come up with this peace treaty with the Cardassians. And the whole thing is like, if if Burial dies, the the treaty's gonna die too, which is like gets one big eye roll from me, and also from Julian later in the episode where he's like, "You're a coward for not standing on your own on this." Um, I just found it so funny how all of a sudden Cisco's like heavily involved in this treaty and like basically being um, like an arbitrator a little bit. Um, even though he obviously is part of an organization that has a more favorable view of, um, Bajor than it does Cardassia. Um, like, I missed at the beginning, like, when they showed up all injured. Like, did Cisco know that this was happening? Like, I just, I thought... No, I think it was in secret. Like, it wasn't supposed to happen at the station. Yeah, so, like, yeah, okay. So, like, at the beginning of the episode... Kai is like telling Cisco like what was going on and I'm just like to go from that and him not knowing to like him being like in the room is just really funny to me well yeah and like the voiceover like has and like I'm you know able to be here now as a they've agreed as a neutral federation observer and he's like sitting at the table in the negotiations like he's actually talking like you know what I mean he's not just and then he's like advising the Kai after when the Cardassians are like willing to play reparations, but if they get all Cardassian materials and property that they left behind, which would include Deep Space Nine, right? Yep. Like Deep Space Nine was Terok Nor and the Cardassians left it there. So like if that stipulation had gone forward, which it mustn't have, you know what I mean? Like they're playing the negotiation and it's like, but if if he is a neutral observer, why is he advising Kira or not Kira the Kai after and like obviously it's still like a conflict because the Federation works with the Bajoran government and co-administers the station like I don't know it was just was kind of hand wavy yeah there was a lot of that's fine but yeah there was a lot of hand wavy jurisdictional questions in this episode um it just felt very I've just felt that way throughout the whole thing. And I was like, all right, well, you know what? At the end of this, Brile's dead and I don't have to think about him ever again. So I'll just let them get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm disliking Brile more and more as we discuss this episode. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I did like Bashir, just to bring it back to Kai, yeah. you know, the, the start mm-hmm. of this discussion. I did like Bashir telling off Kaiwin. Oh, I, I love that. Tell off Kaiwin. And they're even right, too, when they do it. I'm like, yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, I was very um, attracted to Julian in that moment. Um, maybe that... Circle back to that later, actually. Um, yeah, it was great. He called her a coward. I'm so happy. Everything she's doing is making... Everything she's enabling is making Beryl worse and worse. And at one point... I don't know if you had more on on the peace treaty, but like if you, I don't know if you want to move on to Beriah and Kira a little bit. Yeah. Um. Every and like Kira looks really sad at the beginning of the episode, and I appreciated that Bashir was like, "Please take take some time off." And Kira's gonna Kira and was like, "Don't tell me how to grieve." 
Um, I was really surprised that, like, Kira kind of... I mean, I know she knows Beryl and stuff, so she was very much like, yeah, le- you know, let's let's weekend at Bernie's him so that he can do this peace treaty. Um, I know that's not, like, an exactly... Like, a, not, like, a super great comparison to what happens in this episode because Bernie remains dead the whole movie. Um, but I'm going to use that as my shorthand for this anyway because I don't care. Um... But yeah, I was really surprised Kira like went along with it, mostly because I'm, I guess I'm more selfish than she is. And I would be like, no, I want my boyfriend. Like, please don't do that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I get it's episode shorthand, but it's kind of like they're literally like making life or death decisions. And I get as his partner Kira being there, but it like made me wonder about what like legal status she would have to like make those decisions on his behalf or like help him with the, like does he not have other family because again like right in our in our world you need to have some kind of legal distinction to be able to make that even though oh you've totally been, like, together for like years but like unfortunately you need that some yeah kind of legal recognition no one in that papers, room so, like, no one in that room besides like julian would have been able to make any decisions i feel like yeah and i mean like you can need that there to have like the drama and like whatever yeah for sure thing, but um maybe they had like a commitment ceremony that we never knew about yeah it just this a plot like (laughs) there and i'm just repeating myself now but like i think another (laughs) interesting element they could have like looked into was like there was a really good i do like parts of the a plot like there was that really good scene where they further cyborged burrell to keep him alive and kira touches him and he's like it feels different and like you know he's, his performance is like a little bit more ro- robotic and wooden than normally it is but only just because uh, it's a pretty wooden performance to begin with um he's like it's like the memory of your touch do 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 like and like even just getting in that because like julian also has that really good line where he's quoting his one of his med school professors mm-hmm. where it's like yeah we can like replace um organs we can replace things of the brain to keep you know it functioning but there is this indistinguishable spark of life that we could lose that that's intrinsic to all sentient beings and like again that's an idea of like what is a soul yeah i was gonna say the word soul that like you could like explore too in the relationship between like as you know from like a transhuman perspective as like you know technology evolves and we potentially like integrate more non-biologic features into our bodies and, and things like that like from that philosophical standpoint like are we even still human it always makes like, me you know, think like of um nebula <laughs> in the mcu how she's like constantly getting like extra bits added yeah but that's what I was envisioning when you said, like, adding non-biological stuff. I don't have an answer for that, but it is interesting to think about. But the episode just mentions it and then runs on to, like, the next thing. Yeah. But It's interesting to me how, like, Star Trek will try to fix things sometimes and then other times, oh, we can't do that. And then it's always very... I don't think there's... It's for the plot. It's not, there's not like a hard line or rule. There's a really, and I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, 
and I suspect there's probably like streams of ableism in it too, like in hindsight. But there's a TNG episode called Ethics, where Worf's the victim of an accident and kind of oh, I remember potentially mm-hmm. how his like Isn't life has changed. Find as Find out it? about his extra organs. Maybe, um, find out about like his you know life would be different, and he you know was dealing with depression and things like that as a result mm-hmm. of that. And like I think, well, that episode's not perfect and again i can't speak to the ways in which it's super not perfect because i haven't rewatched it i think that episode did a better job in in centering Worf's perspective because it then would be a Worf episode because he's like dealing with that and like i again that the biggest complaint that i have about this a plot is it doesn't really have a focus or a pov or a singular one where it focuses in on so like even if we had given it like more burial more but maybe he like i don't know they're just no i know what you're saying like everyone's kind of just talking around him yeah yeah like the only point of view i felt like we really got was julian's point of view ever and i don't mean like fully and i just mean more because he like says how he feels a lot through the episode um but yeah maybe that was left over from the original idea yeah I kind of think, in closing, my final thoughts on this episode are that it kind of felt like it was on life support the whole time. (laughs) Was the life support the friends we made along the way? Elise, we've been recording for a bit. Now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. What are whistles? Altair Water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek Three. Who are you thirsting for this week? Um, I didn't realize it until I saw how much I was chatting about him throughout this episode, but I am thirsting for Julian. Um, he... What aren't you thirsting for Julian? I mean, there are times... When I he's being a sex pest? Yeah. I don't know if he's, like, sex pest level, but, like, he's definitely, like, I'm the nice guy, blah, 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 a little bit. Anyway, but he's... I just really enjoyed him telling off Kaiwin. And if he was at the bar after and I, like, was a fly on the wall seeing that, I would definitely ask to buy him a drink. Are you thirsting after anyone this week? No, not really this week. This is kind of the second pod race episode, third TNG, or Deep Space Nine episode in a row. It wasn't particularly thirsty. Um that's fair. Karen and I weren't really thirsting after any, yeah, anyone last I, um, week. I did so. watch the episodes that you covered last week, and I also was not thirsting after anyone. Yeah, not really not really a thirsty episode. I mean, the people that were living in um, tents were probably thirsty, but that is a different kind of thirst. And what you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but can you tell us more about your candidate for most Star Trek thing of the episode, Elise? I think it's just that... We're in the third season, and they're finally giving Julian all this growth and interest. Like, I'm more interested in his character. Um, he just, we start to know what his principles are. He has a real point of view relating to his job, and I just really like it. And it was, it, so the most Star Trek thing was that it took three seasons to get here. <laughs> there you go. What about you? Yeah, I didn't really have one, to be honest. It was just like, yeah. That's all right. Again, maybe just an average fine episode that like moves some plot points along, but like 
doesn't super work for me. Maybe that's the most Star Trek thing. Yeah, that's fair. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well, as well at Maddie Hume, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths, or you can email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song, and also thank you to our editor, Melissa. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.